Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. What a, what a good way to start the day. My name is Kristen Schoenbeck, and I am the campus director at Birmingham, as well as a teaching pastor in residence. And it is my privilege to be able to talk to you today and continue the conversation we've been having for the last two weekends on don't be that guy, don't be that girl, don't be that human. It's um, an interesting conversation we started two weeks ago with, with, the story, with uh, talking about hypocrisy. And I don't know if you remember, we defined hypocrisy as living a life, like projecting a life that's not true to who you are often. Where we live behind a mask, and it's easier to project what we think you're going to want to hear, or what we think will be more acceptable than what's really going on in our lives. We talked about the dangers of that in our life, and specifically in the church. Last week, Dave Nelson talked about depravity and how basically we're all kind of a mess. And the more we try to work our way out of our mess and be better, the more it doesn't work. And the only way out is to depend on Jesus and listen to him. The way out is to actually go down and submit to him in the process. And today, we're concluding our series with a a conversation of integrity. What does it look like to live a life of integrity? And why do we even need to talk about integrity in this conversation? I believe integrity is the antidote, the opposite of hypocrisy. I believe when we learn to live a life of integrity that is dependent on Jesus Christ's will for our lives, the church looks different. The church looks different. The impact of of the gospel looks different in Birmingham. The impact of the gospel in our homes and our legacy is different. I think integrity as a Christ follower is a crucial conversation to have. Because if you call yourself a Christ follower, whatever you do reflects either well or poorly on the gospel, doesn't it? We have the ability, by living as hypocrites, to actually take away from the movement of Christ in the, in the world. We can reflect poorly on Christ if we say we're a Christ follower and we don't follow through and we live a double life. But when we live a life of true integrity and authenticity, the impact is expanded for the gospel in our community. So it's a conversation we're going to dig into today. So I was talking with my husband this week about people of integrity, and the first name that came to my mind was Mufasa who is a lion in an animated film. He's not even real, right? But I'm like, oh my gosh, but he was like the dude. First of all, he has James Earl Earl Jones' voice. So there you have it, right? Like that's authority, if there's ever been authority. And he speaks such great stuff to Simba, right? And he sticks with him his whole life. Somehow he shows up in clouds and stuff. Like how good is that? But then I began to think that's probably not a good person to hold up as a person of integrity because he doesn't even exist. So I started thinking, who in the world do we know that are people of integrity? And I thought of Eric, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I thought of Joan of Arc, and people that have lived a, well, a life worth living, a life that left a mark, an indelible mark on the world we live in now. And I wanted to look at what things they had in common. And I felt that there were some things that integrity calls out in people that they have in common. First of all, people of integrity choose comfort, I mean, I'm sorry, choose courage over comfort. They choose courage over comfort. They choose to do what is right instead of what is fast, what is easy, and what is oftentimes fun. 
They choose to practice their values instead of just profess them. There's grit in their walk. Their talk matches their walk. They choose to do the right thing when no one is looking. And they choose thoughts and actions based on values instead of personal gain. See, I believe when you live a life of integrity, it will cost you something. It will cost you something. It will cost you things that are easy, maybe even social acceptance, maybe even your resources, but it will cost you something. But I believe it's worth it. Because our lives, if we're Christ followers, reflect on the man of integrity himself, Christ. And if we want to have impact, if we want to represent him well, we need to dig into this conversation today. The word integrity stems from the Latin adjective integer. How many of you guys remember that from your math class? Right? There you go. What is, inter- what is an integer? A whole number. You actually passed math class, didn't you? Good work. Yes, in- an integer is a whole number. It's not a fraction of, it's not a part of, which is interesting because when you think of integrity or integer as a root base of the word integrity, you think it's actually the opposite of hypocrisy because hypocrisy is a divided life, right? I live one way, but I show you another way. I live behind a mask. I'm a hypocrite. But integrity is the antidote or the opposite of that where it's a complete whole process where the inside matches the outside. The inside drives the outside. The outside and what we expect people want from us does not drive who we are. There's an internal core, a faith base, a relationship with Jesus Christ that drives us going forward. And the circumstances around us don't determine the way we behave and the choices that we make. In Proverbs 11, verse 3, it says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. King Solomon, in his wisdom, understood when he wrote this that when we live a life of duplicity, when we live a life of hypocrisy, it eventually destroys us. But when we live a life of wholeness, when the inside determines the outside, there is fruit, there is uh, impact, there is legacy change, there are good things that happen, even though they may come at a cost to us. But here's the tension in the picture is I think, gosh, if you knew the choices I made when I was 18, if you knew my baggage, if you knew the stuff I did last week, if you knew the way my brain works and my selfish motives that drive me every day, you would never call me a person of integrity. Integrity is like for the Dietrich Bonhoeffers or the people that, just not me. It's hard to live that out. But see, integrity is not defined as being perfect. It's not in the definition. That's not part of the deal. Integrity is designed, is defined as being holding inside, living out on the outside. It's not another job for you to become perfect and then you'll be a man, a, pers- a woman of integrity. Instead, honestly, I think integrity shines very often the most in the mistakes we make and the way we handle them. I think that's a highlight, a spotlight often for what we are on the inside. My mom used to tell me like when you squeeze the lemon, you find out what's on the inside. And I believe that integrity is not about being perfect. It's about working and practicing values that we get from watching and following Jesus Christ in our lives. And it is a process. 
I believe integrity is attainable for each one of us. I believe integrity is for broken people. And I believe that integrity is practiced. So let's pray today before we get into our, our teaching. Lord Jesus, this is a conversation, Lord, that we, without you, can just make ourselves better people. It's a tough conversation, God, because really to be men and women of integrity, we need you to speak to us, to change us, and to help us impact the world. So Lord, I pray now you clear our minds and you let us just hear from you in this room. In your name I pray, amen. So Jesus himself modeled integrity. In Matthew uh, chapter 22, verse 16, it says, Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Jesus lived a life of integrity and people recognized him for it. So as Christ's followers, he's the example, right? In Titus chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. And by the way, young women included in this. In everything set, let's just make it out to the guys today. You guys, girls, you're off the hook. It's all about men learning integrity. Not true. Not even close to true. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. As Christ followers, we are called to live lives of integrity. When we choose, as I've already mentioned, a life of hypocrisy, because that's the opposite of integrity, we do damage to the movement of Christ in this world. Not that he can't continue to move, because his will will prevail, but we can actually cause other people to stumble in the process. So how does it, what does this look like? What are the values of integrity? What are the things that we need to leave with today to know how to start practicing integrity better in our lives? And I decided to talk through story today. I wanted to share a story about both Ruth and Boaz. I don't know if you've heard of the story of Ruth and Boaz. And they were basically two different people, one who had everything and one who had nothing, but they both lived lives of integrity. So what does that look like for you and me? And we're going to kind of, I'm going to walk through that story with you, and we're going to pull out pieces that we can begin to practice in our own lives. So first of all, you need to understand the background. And the background of the story is it begins with a lady named Naomi. She married a guy named Elmech, and he was from the land of Judah. They were Israelites. And in that time, there was a famine in the land of Judah. So they moved their entire family, which were two sons as well, to a nearby town, a foreign area, and it was the Moab area. And they, they raised their children there to escape the famine. And during their time there, both of their sons married Moabite women, Oprah and Ruth. So here's their growing family. All things are good, right? And in a very short season, Naomi loses Emelech and both of her sons, like this. So tragedy falls on Naomi. And the life that they lived then under a patriarchal society was very different than the life you and I understand today. See, if something happened in our lives, I have a job, we're going to make it. Women have, a different, uh, have different rights and abilities and freedoms here that did not exist in Naomi's time. 
A woman was as good as her father, her husband, or the number of sons that she bore to her family line. That was it. That was what her identity was rooted in back in this time. And in a second, Naomi doesn't only lose people that she loves. She loses her identity and any influence she might have had. She went from something to nothing in a second in that society. She feels the Lord has turned his hand against her. She's upset. She's, de- she's de- depressed. And she decides the only way for her to continue is to go back to Judah, her homeland in Israel, and go there to die. That's literally what she says. I'm going to go there to die. That was what her hope was. But she's got these two young girls, these, these daughter-in-laws that she loves. And she looks at them and she says, save yourself. Save yourself. Go back to your mother's home. Go back to your father. Hope that under his protection you can remarry and have some sort of future. Don't come with me because my world is going to be a penniless, homeless widow on the streets of Israel. Don't come with me. Save yourself. And Oprah, one of her daughter-in-laws, does exactly that. But then we meet Ruth. And Ruth had a different story. We look at her story in chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where I will go, I mean, where you will go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So what was wrong with Ruth? She's crazy. She had a chance, at least a chance, a fighting chance to go back home. But she left all of that to go with Ruth. And what were the things that drove Ruth? Why? Did you notice she said, your God will be my God? See, the God of the Moabites were false gods. They were little statues that they made in worship. But somehow, living in the home with Naomi, Ruth saw the God Naomi worshipped, and that was attractive to her. And there was a code, a difference in her life, and she lived out her life in humility, thinking of others first. She cared more about Ruth than herself. She wanted to go with Ruth, at least provide some comfort and be a friend and possibly help her in this new land versus go back home and protect yourself. She had humility and authenticity. Authenticity is following through with what you say, being real. Where the inside and the outside match, and Ruth did it. She didn't just say, hey, I'm going to go with you. It's all good. And then a week later, she returned back. She stuck out with Ruth the rest of her days in Israel. She left her homeland and followed Ruth. She had authenticity. And it clearly came at a personal cost to her. Clearly. The story continues. In Ruth 2, they get to Israel. They have nothing. They have no food. They have no nothing. Naomi does know people there. This was her homeland. So the story begins to circulate that they're back in town and that Ruth has come with her. And Ruth says to Naomi, hey, we have nothing. We have no food. We have nothing. Listen, I've got to go out and and get some food for us somehow. So we pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, 
Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor, Naomi said to her. Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out. She entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Emelech. Remember him? Naomi's husband. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. What do we see in Ruth in this part of the story? We see tenacity. She doesn't give up easily. She's a fighter. She's willing to go out into fields. Let me tell you how this works. The way welfare worked in in the nation of Israel is that the farmers would have these fields. They would have their workers go through the fields one time according to Jewish law. They would harvest everything they could and whatever fell on the floor and whatever was in the corners of the field, they left for people who were literally in need. And so Ruth as an effort to protect her and Naomi, was going to go around those fields and pick up whatever was left over, stepped on, whatever was in the corners that wasn't picked yet, and she was going to bring that back. And in the process of doing that, she was risking herself. She's a foreigner. She's a woman. She had nothing. And anything that ever happened on those fields, under Jewish law, she would have no rights and no protection. But she went out anyway. She had tenacity. And when I think in my own life of, of authenticity, humility, and tenacity, if those are the ingredients that I see that make up integrity, the one I struggle the most, most with for sure is tenacity. No question. I want to find something that's easy, something that's quick, something that I get instant gratification from and move on. And when that isn't in the books, I'm the first one to want to turn the opposite direction. I remember when my son, who was 10 years old, he was probably about 11 at the time, he had been going through chemotherapy, he had lymphoma. And I remember sitting on the edge of my bed in my room, and my husband was in our, in my room, in our room together, we were in the room together, and I remember just having a breakdown. I said, Paul, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't take him into the clinic again. I can't check into the hospital for another week. I can't walk with him to the bathroom. I can't watch him get another shot. I can't see the sores that are coming from the chemo inside his mouth. I can't do it. I can't watch the pain that I'm being asked to watch as a mother to my son. I'm done. I can't do it. I quit. He came up to me. He grabbed my chin in his hand, you know, so sweet. Got like this in my face. And he said, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. You don't get to pick whether you are his mother because God already picked that for you. You don't get the back door. You will walk forward as his mom and you will hold his hand when he gets his shot. You will cry with him when he's in pain. You will give him medication to help soothe his throat and his mouth and his gums. And you will press on one foot at a time. You see, in my life, that's something that isn't my strength, but it was my husband's. And God gave me his voice to continue on days that I didn't think I could during those years. Tenacity, humility, authenticity. As you look at yourself, what are the things that you find easy and the things that you see are struggles? And know that God, in your weakness, is strong. He provides the help to continue wherever that weakness is. 
So we find something else that happens in our story. Ruth is in the field of Boaz. I don't know if you noticed that. In the field of Boaz, who was of the clan of Amalek. And Boaz is a new character in the story. Now where Ruth was a lady of integrity, a woman of integrity who had nothing, Boaz was the opposite. We find him, as the story unfolds, to be a man of integrity who had everything. He was a male in a patriarchal society, win-win. He had fields, he had wealth. He was an elder in the city. He had a voice. He had influence. He had all of the things that Ruth did not have. But he was a man of integrity. And the way he leveraged those things, instead of helping himself, he put himself at risk to protect a foreigner. So as we see in the story, the first time Boaz comes to his fields, he asks his foreman, who's that person? What's she doing? new person, and the foreman explains who she is and why she's here, and this is the first conversation that Boaz has with her. A man who, by the way, based on just who he was alone, should never have even been talking to her. He could have simply ignored her, but he didn't. This is what he did. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. What is he saying here? He's showing his humility that he cares more for Ruth than his own reputation. He's showing his authenticity. He told his crew not to touch her because I'm telling you in a world of me too's, that could have been an easy me too that no one would have thought twice of for Ruth. But he used his power and privilege to protect the foreigner, the outcast. And at this, Ruth bows down with her face to the ground and she asks, what have I done to find such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replies, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz shows great humility toward Ruth, and he did not have to. But the other thing I find in this story that's so amazing is a life of integrity attracts lives of integrity, don't they? They call people to live a standard that you don't normally see in people. You want to be like them. You want to make choices like them. You want to face the crowd and stand up for what you believe because what you believe is true. Who Jesus Christ is and what he has done in your life, you will not turn your back on him. Instead, you'll face the opposers and you'll take the stand. And I find this story so beautiful because they both have humility, authenticity, and tenacity. Do you know the story ends with Boaz buying Naomi's husband's land as the kinsman redeemer, the guardian redeemer who literally under legal law, under Jewish law, can buy back the land of a relative who's been deceased to honor their name and keep their name in the family line, which was very important back then. So Boaz, at cost to himself financially, buys back Naomi's land and, in the package deal, marries Ruth, 
and, Mo- and Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. And guess who came out of the line of King David? Jesus. Jesus. What a beautiful story of redemption. But they were two people who lived by a code that they learned from God himself. And they lived it out independently of each other. And when God brought them together, neither of them compromised who they were based on what was happening around them. Because the code came from the inside out. Tenacity, humility, and authenticity are values that are built into a life of integrity. We have a video we're going to watch in a minute. Before we do, we're going to receive our offering. And if you are new here, this is a time where you can let this moment pass. But if you call Kensington Church home, this is a chance for you to give back out of your resources. And so many of you, thank you, we do. My husband and I um, give online. We actually use our app and we give online. That's the way that we do it. It's way easier, (laughs) honestly. But I want to thank you for those of you who give online as well as for those of you who are going to give at this moment. So we'll receive our offering. Um, We're about to watch a video. And this video is a picture of what integrity looks like today. You know, it's amazing to go back years and years and read this story of Ruth and Boaz, and you think, gosh, how does that apply to me? How does this look in everyday life? And there's a man named Lauren Siffering, and he's been a friend of mine, actually, for years. And he has lived his life and made choices to be a man of integrity and move the gospel through the way he loves others. So I want you to check out this video. Guard your lips. As you walk through your days, you have choices galore when you're with people who have needs. To give what you have to fill in their gaps, they will often remember your deeds. Sometimes it would be that the things that you give are not goods, but a promise you make. This two-part gift will be measured for sure is your follow-through, truth or fake. When you've given your word, it may cause you some hurt to deliver the goods like you spoke. It will measure you, man, so be careful you speak. Your word is your bond. That's no joke. The best gift you can give to a wife or son or daughter is a promise that's kept like it's spoken. A wall is produced that is hard to remove whenever a promise is broken. To be quick to hear and slow to speak will determine the words that come out. Once spoken, the fruit that they bear will be seen to produce life, love, and light, but not doubt. I was raised in a Christian home, my father being a pastor. And so from age 12, I taught Sunday school, and I, I felt that I knew uh, how to teach any of the pamphlets that go along with the Sunday school. But it wasn't until I was 36 that I came to know uh, the, uh, the, to have a relationship with Jesus. And so that was the first thing that I believe was uh, truly authentic when I realized that there was a, a relationship available for me. When I was 21, 
I was getting ready to go to the Colorado Outward Bound School, and it required a physical exam, so I went to see Lauren Siffring, my, my doctor, and he said, well, where are you going? I'm going to Colorado. He said, well, that's where I'm from. Uh-huh. And so we kind of hit it off, and we you know, had a conversation going. And about five or six years later, I get a letter from him at my place of work, and he's telling all of his patients that he's retiring, so to speak, uh, from medicine and going full-time into ministry. Mm-hmm. Well, this was a shock. This was unheard of. Nobody, nobody does that. Nobody gives up a medical career uh, to become a pastor, but he did. And I came to see him, and I said, would you consider mentoring me in medical procedures, because where I'm going to be, there are no doctors, and mm. there's no access to doctors. And he said, absolutely, just like that. Mm. And so I started meeting with him on Monday mornings, 37 years ago. Wow. I think it was about four years ago, I started to hear men share a name, um, and I didn't understand why every once in a while it kept surfacing, and I thought, that's really odd that I would hear this person's name. I wonder who this person is. They were talking so highly of this individual. My prayer partner said to me uh, two years ago, I think what I'm going to do is introduce you to a man that I know, and his name is Lawrence Siffring. And I said, you have no idea what you just said. I, I told him this backstory, and we made arrangements, um, went to his house, and it was this moment of receiving that I don't think I've ever experienced in my life. And I looked at him and said, I think I'm supposed to be here. And he says, I know you are. And we've never not met every week since then. And it's just been an amazing opportunity. We are often wondering about our own integrity. We're wondering if we really do express what is truly in our heart. I think without the power of the Holy Spirit to give us confidence that whatever we've done in the past that has caused us to be broken, or whatever we might do in the future to uh, cause us to be imperfect. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't think we can live a life of integrity. When I uh, moved back from Arizona and when I first met Lauren and we started meeting together, um, he looked in my eyes and, and it was almost like he saw a timeline in the future and he started to work on that timeline. Like, because, and I only say that because he looked in my eyes and he says that you've got quite a bit of healing ahead of you. And, um, and your eyes aren't, aren't quite clear. And, uh, and as the years passed, I remember the day he said, your eyes are so clear. Amazing. So he saw that. Yeah. And he worked towards that. How do you know that about a person? We have been given life by so many, and that we have an opportunity to offer that to anybody that is willing to be with us eye to eye, uh, heart to heart, uh, living in the moment, whatever it is, whether it's a difficult thing or a celebratory thing or uh, something that is tragic, we can be together. And so I, I believe that we're always influencing uh, anybody that's near us. And knowing that we are an influencer should uh, guard what we say and what we do and the way that we act. 
I know that often when I'm with Lauren, uh, he says all things with gratefulness. You know, he's taught me that. Like, even if it's a hardship, be grateful for it. It's going to uh, create something in your life that makes makes you better and uh, and gives you something that you can give to others. Which what's happening, their life is appreciating. It's it's mm-hmm. it's ascending. I remember um, about a month after his wife died, sitting in his office. Sometimes the phone would ring, sometimes he answers it. He chose to answer it this time, and it was the, the nurse who took care of Rhea in her last hours. And he just wanted to know, how are you getting along? How's everything going? And then he said this, Lauren, if you ask me to get in my car and come, I will come right now. I was floored. Wow. What could have happened in three days that a complete stranger would say such words. And then I just remember the Father's love. It's so powerful. And that's what he has. Yeah. Yeah. I even think uh, after, after Rhea left us and to be the way the Lord, I asked him, how are you doing, Lauren? How are you doing? He says, that I'm fine. It was my privilege yeah. to take care of Rhea. Yeah. I learned more in 18 months <laughs> Of, of, of watching, you know, I mean, a man's love for his wife. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's integrity. Yeah. yeah. That's integrity. One of the things that Lauren says in this video He said, apart from the Holy Spirit, it'd be very difficult, almost impossible to live a life of integrity. You see, Jesus Christ doesn't call us to just live a life of integrity. He actually empowers us to do it. He doesn't say, go figure it out on your own. Go ahead, make some tough choices. Try to figure out how to be humble, how to be authentic, how to be tenacious. He says, no, 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 listen to me, stay close to me. I have given you my Holy Spirit to live in you. I have given you that still small voice that you can listen to. I have given you power to walk forward in my will and not in yours. He calls us to live a life of integrity, but he empowers us to do it. So we're fortunate. We're fortunate. When I think of a person who lives a life of integrity, I think of my husband. I told him that this week. He is a man of integrity and he's not perfect. We've been married 27 years. I could tell you his faults as he could tell you mine. Not perfect. But that doesn't define integrity, does it? He graduated from Southfield Christian and he went to Wheaton College and his first semester at Wheaton College, he came home and he met with a buddy that he had grown up with at Southfield Christian, and he met him at Denny's with a bunch of guys, you know, kind of hanging out. And it was late into the night, and they were talking about their face. And one of his friends had literally turned against God and said, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm an atheist. And for my husband, that was heart-wrenching. It was a heart-wrenching conversation at 18 years old. And as he was driving home in his parents' station wagon with the wood panels, you know, It was floating on the road. As he was driving home, he was in his mind thinking of this conversation. He was very disturbed. My husband is wired as a man of justice. God designed him to be that. So there was something in it that just would not sit right with my husband, and he was aggravated. 
And as he's kind of floating down the road, going down Woodward to turn onto Hickory Grove, as he's driving down the road, a car comes right up behind him, which again aggravated my husband further. It wasn't even my husband at the time. Actually, I didn't even know him at the time. And as, he, as his car came in behind him, the car eventually moved off to the right lane and Paul went off to the left lane. And immediately, as soon as he went off to the left lane, that car swooped in behind him and the lights started going. It was a cop. And he pulls him over and my husband is beyond himself at this point. He is just at the brim of frustration, right? And the cop comes in license and registration. Paul said, I am not giving you my license and registration until you tell me why you pulled me over. He said, well, you turned left and you didn't use your, you got in the left lane and you didn't use your blinker. Paul said, well, I saw you get in the right lane and you didn't use your blinker. Like, who's, who says that to a cop, right? And the cop said, license and registration, I'm actually suspecting you of drunk driving and I want you to take a sobriety test. Well, that was about it. My husband had just about had it at that. He said, have you been out tonight? Yes. Where were you? Denny's? Yes. Were you drinking? Yes. Coffee? He's getting more and more aggravated as he's talking to this policeman. The cop said, listen, buddy, I need you to take a sobriety test. It's my job. I need, you to get, I need you to say your ABCs. And my husband looked at him and said, why don't you ask me to give you the precedence in order? At least give me a challenge. Right? I married him. <laughs> he says his ABCs, and as the cop is handing back his license and registration, he's actually already rolling up the window. He takes off. He goes home. And for the first time, he begins to think about what he did first time and see there's this Holy Spirit that lived inside him and there was this voice that he was listening to that said geez Paul you messed up I have not called you to be that I have called you to more I have called you to a life of integrity I have called you to be different I've called you to be different so Paul called the police precinct. This is so many years ago that they would, you would have called the police precinct and they would have told you this. He called the police precinct and he said, hey, I was at Woodward. It was 11 o'clock at night. What cop was it? Can you tell me? Is he there? I'd like to speak to him. Oh, no, sorry, sir. He doesn't come in until 2 in the morning. He's still on his beat. Um, he'll be in at 2 in the morning. And Paul said, thanks. I'll call back. Sat up. 18-year-old kid by himself. His parents were asleep. They had no idea this had happened. And he sat up and he waited. And at 2 in the morning, he called this cop back. He said, hey, I was completely disrespectful to you and I was wrong and I apologize. I should never have treated you that way. I'm sorry. I apologize to you. That's not the way I want to live my life and I apologize. I took it out on you. I had a rough night and I took it out on you. I'm sorry. You know that cop could not believe it. Like that cop could not believe it. He probably gets treated that way often. And he had some 18-year-old kids saying, I'm sorry, I have chosen to live a life of integrity because I reflect who Jesus is. And he's telling me that that wasn't okay. And I'm willing to humble myself. I'm willing to be authentic to what God has called me to be and to live out. And I am willing to wait up two hours in tenacity. And I'm willing to tell you I'm sorry. That is a life of integrity. That is attractive. That is a way that we can reach and love people that we would never think that we could reach or love because we have chosen to listen to the Holy Spirit and to live a life of integrity and it will change your family. You see, that wasn't one moment that Paul practiced integrity. He does it all the time. 
has changed my boys. It has changed my daughter. It has changed me. Living a life of integrity will affect the people you love, the people you are around, but it will come at a cost to you. I call us to it. I want to be like that. I want to be like Lauren. I want to be like my husband. I want to have an impact on the world that they would only point to Jesus Christ through. That's why I'm here. Forget the rest. I want them to see him through me. And if it takes acts of integrity in my life, then I'm going for it. And I call you to come with me.